pray with me, please, Heavenly Father, open our hearts, Lord, to hear the message that your spirit would speak to us this day. Teach us, grow us, draw us close. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember a time when I was a teenager. I was at the mall with my mom and my younger siblings, and it was around Christmas time, and it seems that we must have taken our eyes off of my little sister, Carolyn, who was about three or four years old at the time, because all of a sudden we couldn't find her anywhere. And we were running around the mall, we were yelling and screaming, trying to find her, calling out her name, and pretty soon security guards and fellow shoppers saw what we were doing, and they all joined in, tried to help find her too. It was about 30 minutes had gone by, and my mother literally started to panic. Of course, everybody was thinking the worst. We had all, you know, seen the, the, the news recently, and surely we thought someone would find her and take her in their car and we'd never see her again. I began to picture my little sister's face on a milk carton. It was not good. And so they made an announcement over the loudspeaker at the mall, and they said, well, there's a little girl. She's about four years old. Here's what she's wearing. She has blonde hair, and she's lost, and she can't find her mother. So would everyone please be on the lookout? And those who are near the exits, please watch the exits and make sure that no little girls are leaving without their mom. And after a while, uh, there was a call that came across the, uh, the security guards' walkie-talkie. They had found her. And so my mom, who had been crying tears of, of fear, suddenly began crying tears of joy as we ran toward the place where my sister was found. You might ask, where was my four-year-old sister found? She was sitting in the window at John Wanamaker's with a little display of, you know, those animatronic elves eating the candy cane that she had gotten when she visited Santa all by herself, even as we were looking for her. And my little sister was completely unaware that she had been lost. I was crying, my mom was crying, and Carolyn just looked at my mom. She said, Mommy, why you cry? And my mom said, I'm crying because you were lost. And she said, I'm not lost. I see Santa. Here's a kid who is like as carefree as you would want a little girl to be. But she was completely unaware of the fact that she was in some very real danger. And she had no idea that there was calamity out there that she possibly needed to be saved from. But we knew. We knew, hence our hysterics, and we were so grateful to the lady who helped to find her and get her back safely to her mom. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because at some point or another, we are all lost. We are all, at some time in our lives, separated from the one who knows us and who offers us safety. And sometimes we don't even realize it until we're found. This past week, all ages in our incarnational Bible study explored chapter 2, which is called The Savior and Our Need for Saving. The Savior and Our Need for Saving. And what I'd like to do this morning is I want to expand a bit on what we did learn in the book, and I want to look at what it means that we have a Savior and why we needed saving in the first place. But I want to look at what it is we've been saved from and what we're saved to and what we are being saved for. And so there's a road map today for this message. Let's start on that road by taking a quick uh, second look at the scripture from this morning. Do not be afraid, the angel said to the shepherds, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah. 
the Lord. Now this message could not have been any clearer for those shepherds on that hill on that night. The child born in the manger is the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. These titles are all given to describe who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Savior, the Greek word is soter, comes from the root word sozo, which means deliverer or rescuer. And remember that the New Testament was written in Greek, but those shepherds on that hill, they wouldn't have spoken Greek. They would have spoken Hebrew. Specifically, they would have spoken Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. And so those words that the shepherds would have heard the angels say to describe this coming baby would have been like this. Moshiach, Hamashiach, Adonai. Moshiach means savior, one who would rescue. Hamashiach means anointed one. Adonai, Hebrew for Lord with a capital L that means God the angel literally told these shepherds that this baby was God coming to save them God's saving one and so those were his titles Savior Messiah Lord and his very name tells us of what he does as well remember the angel said to Joseph don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit she will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, in Hebrew, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua translates literally to Yahweh saves, God saves. His name is his mission. Jesus is God come to save. Now you might ask, what were we saved from? What were we saved from? You know, when you ask most Christians what it means to be saved, nine times out of ten, you're going to hear that it means to be spared from the consequences of our sin. Most Christians will tell you that that means I'm going to heaven. And while it's true that eternal separation from God is one of the consequences of our sin, that isn't the whole picture. Just being saved from hell and going to heaven is a teeny tiny little narrow view of salvation. Because salvation is so so, so much more than just going to heaven. But that's how we tend to think of it. We all tend to think of it that way. We tend to have this little narrow view of salvation. You know, very often you'll hear another Christian want to share with you about the moment that they became saved. And they'll say, oh, let me tell you about the day I prayed the prayer and I got my ticket punched to heaven. Some of us, in fact, have a moment like that. An exact moment when they knew they could just no longer live the way they had been living their lives. And so they called out to Jesus and asked for help and for a change. And those stories are beautiful. I love to hear them. They inspire us and they remind us of how powerful and yet how gracious our God really is. But for many of us, there isn't that single moment when we knew we were saved. We've just always loved and trusted the Lord for as long as we can remember. And I want you to know that their salvation is no more or no less real than those with the great moment of conversion. But then there are others who have a moment when they were just swept up in the emotion and the momentum of the night when they answered the altar call and said some words to the Lord. And yet when all of that emotion faded, back they went to exactly the way they were before they prayed the prayer. 
So there's a story there, and there's a moment, but there's no lasting change. And that leads us to wonder, did you receive salvation? Were you saved? Only the Lord knows the answer to that question. Because yes, being saved is in fact about the grace of being spared the consequences of our sin. But there's a bigger picture of salvation in which God wants to save the entire world. That's why God wrote in his gospel, John wrote in his gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Friends, salvation, being saved is so much more than that you're just going to get into heaven. It's true. When we pray the prayer and we truly mean it, we are spared the consequences of our sin and we do get into heaven. When you prayed the prayer, you were saved. But hear me on this. True salvation means that you were saved and that you are also being saved and that you will be saved and that you will be called to be a part of God's saving work as it continues in this world. And it looks like this. Forgiven, changed, commissioned. And that's what you and I are when we're saved. We're forgiven, we're changed, and we're commissioned. So back to the question, what were we saved from? You were saved from your past. You were saved from all the things that you did wrong before you prayed that prayer and had that moment. You were saved from shame, you were saved from guilt, and you were saved from the separation. You were saved from the hopelessness, and you were saved from the consequences of eternal life apart from God. That's what you were saved from. But you are also being saved. And so you ask me, what are we being saved to? You are being saved to newness of life. You are being saved to changed hearts. You are being saved to restored strength. And you are being saved to a new walk. You are being saved to a new path to travel on throughout your life. And you are being saved to restored peace and hope for a future together with the very one who has saved you. Now, you may know, here I go with the Greek and the Hebrew again. I just love it, and you get used to it. You may know that the Greek word for sin is hamartia, and that is an archery term, bows and arrows, that means to miss the mark or to stray from the path. In Hebrew, that word is hata. And there are many ways that you and I can stray from the path or miss the mark. Many ways that you and I can sin. And so you ask, what does that path look like? Well, the Bible gives us a pretty decent picture of what God's path for you and me is and what it isn't. And so if you start by looking at the Ten Commandments, you'll see that the first few are all about loving and honoring God. And the last few are all about loving and honoring others. And that's why Jesus could sum it up like this. He said, love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so anything that strays from that loving God and loving your neighbor misses the mark. And it's sin. And we all do it. Unfortunately, we all do it. We stray from the path. We all miss the mark. Every single one of us sins. And so being saved is about getting us back on God's right path. And it's an ongoing process. Remember that being saved isn't just about the moment you prayed the prayer and got forgiven. It's about God working in you to help you 
get back on the path every moment of your life moving forward. And we see the effects of us straying from the path all around us when we look at ourselves and the world every day. We see people hurting other people because of hatred and racism. We see violence like everywhere. We see dishonesty and exclusion. Many of those are corporate sins that means that we all engage in them together. But many of us dabble in those things personally as well. Because we live in a sinful world. And that, my friends, hurts God's heart. And so it's crystal clear that we and our world needed a savior. Now we should understand that there are lots of ways that we miss the mark. Some of them are through sins of omission, and some of them are through sins of commission. Sins of thought and word and deed. So sins of commission happen when we do what we shouldn't ought to do. We use foul or hurtful language, we steal, we cheat, we lie. You know the things we do wrong is a huge list. Sins of omission, folks, happen when we know what we ought to do, and yet we don't do it. That's a sin too. We've neglected to feed a hungry person, or we've neglected to save someone from abuse or oppression, or we failed to seek justice for someone whom God loves. And we see a lot of that going on in our world today. Sins of omission, folks, happen when we turn away from or when we have a blind eye to the suffering and the needs of people around us. And so I wonder... Have you ever just stopped to take stock of how it is that you might have missed the mark? Think about just this past week. How have you missed the mark? How have you strayed from the path of God for your life just this past week? Let me tell you, it wasn't until I stopped and took a moment to take stock of my sins that I realized just how very much I needed a Savior. And praise God. He sent me one. And because God sent us a Savior, there is not a single one of us who needs to leave this service of worship today feeling guilty or feeling lost or feeling unforgiven because Jesus has taken our guilt. He has taken our sin. He has taken our punishment upon himself so that we would not have to bear it ourselves. He is our Savior. That's why we're going to remember him by taking the cup and the bread together today. Folks, there was a price. There was a costliness to our missing the mark. And our God, through Jesus Christ, did everything that was necessary that we would not only be forgiven, but that those sins would be separated from you and me as far as the east is from the west. God did what was necessary to relieve us from the consequences of our sin. That's what it means to say we were saved. And God is doing everything that is necessary for you and me to get right back on the right path. And that's what it means that we are being saved. Paul said it like this. He said, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are being saved to newness. You are being changed daily by the work of God's spirit in your life. And so in our book this week, Adam Hamilton says that saving me 
When God saved me, it wasn't just about forgiving my sins. It was about saving me from me. It's about changing my heart. It's about dealing with my bent towards continuing in sin. And that's a journey that begins the moment that we say yes to Jesus, and it continues every single moment of our lives thereafter. The work of Jesus and the spirit that he sent changes our heart so that straying from the mark literally becomes painful to us. And we don't want to do it, and therefore we have less of a tendency to continue to do it, and we sin less. The work of Jesus and the spirit he sent convicts us and strengthens us and inspires us to live a life anew, to strive every single moment to hit the mark and to stay on the path that God desires for us. We have a name for this process. In the United Methodist Church, we call it sanctifying grace. We call it sanctification. And it is a beautiful thing to behold because it is evidenced in change. You are not the person that you were before you prayed the prayer, but rather you are new and improved and you are more like Jesus and you are able to love more like Jesus. That's what you are being saved to. And we all need it. Know that God's saving grace through Jesus and his sanctifying grace through the Spirit are available to every single one of us. All we need is to understand that we need it. And pray. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to change your heart. Invite Jesus to do what he will in and through you. When you turned to Jesus, you were forgiven and you were saved. And when you trust in him daily and allow him to change you heart, you, you are being saved. And when you're pliable and obedient toward him, you will be saved. What will you be saved for? You will be saved for life on this earth that has peace and joy and hope in it because God is with you. You will be saved from an eternal future together, saved for an eternal future together with God and with your Savior. And you will be saved for kingdom work while we wait to see him. Remember last week we learned we're not just sitting around while we wait for him, but there is kingdom work to be done. Now, while we're all saved for a life of joy and peace and hope, I want us never to forget that there will also be times when we experience difficulty on this journey through life. Just because we know Jesus as our Savior doesn't mean that we won't ever experience bad things or difficult times. They will happen. And while God does promise us joy, he never promised us that there would not be times of pain. But what he did promise us is that we don't go it alone. When the times get tough, God said he would bear us up on eagles' wings. And that when you go through the fire or the floods, God said, I will be with you. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Troubles are part of living in this imperfect world and in broken bodies. But hear the words of our Savior. Take heart, he said. I have overcome the world. And do you know what that means? It means that even though there are difficulties in this life, you and I who has, have a Savior who says to us, listen, I got you. 
And the worst thing that you could possibly go through on this earth is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. Our Savior says you are mine. And so that changes things because I've overcome it all because I've prepared a place for you that is beyond your understanding and you're going to love it. The worst thing is never the last thing. A better life is coming, and you, my friends, are being saved for it. Our Savior brings us hope for the future, no matter what we're dealing with in the present. And while we wait, there is good kingdom work to do, for which you and I are being saved. Now, when I work at the hospital, I work at First Steps Drug and Alcohol Rehab Center at Crozier, I am there in the capacity of a nurse. You know, I treat them medically, and I, I, I give them medicine, and I monitor their health and well-being and their vital signs. I can't always be pastoral in the way that I care for my patients. But many of my patients know who I am and what I do outside of that hospital. And so when one of them is struggling in group, inevitably another one will share with them, and they'll say, like, you need to go talk to Babiak because she's a preacher and she can pray with you. And I, too, really love it when that happens because then I get to engage in ministry at my job. So one day I had this guy come up to me. Um, he was a guy that I knew bought and sold heroin, used it, and sold it to teenagers who were now addicted themselves. This is a guy who I knew from reading the newspaper that he had held his daughter hostage when he had a big fight with his wife and the police had to come and uh, rescue her. I think they had to call SWAT. This is a guy who I knew had possession of unlawful weapons, a guy I knew had lied to his family for years and years about his addiction. And when he came to me, he had such shame that he literally hid his face. And he said, they tell me you're the preacher. Could I talk to you? I said, sure, sure you can talk to me. He goes, all right, well, listen, I have this question. Can you ever do so much bad stuff? that God doesn't ever want anything to do with you ever again. And I said to him, no. As a matter of fact, I believe that you cannot. Because if you are truly sorry for what you have done, and if you truly want to write your life and turn from the path that you're on, and you truly believe that God offers you forgiveness through his son Jesus, all you got to do is ask, and he will forgive you. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you. Ask him to use you to do good things instead of bad. And I said, God rejoices when someone who is lost says those words to him because then they are found. And so with tears in his eyes, he asked me if I would pray for him. And I said, yes, I will always pray for you, but let me do one better and let me help you pray for yourself. And so I helped him pray for himself, for saving. And at the end of the prayer, with tears in his eyes, he said to me, for the first time in my life, I feel like I have hope. I feel like I belong to somebody. I feel like I'm going to be okay. And I have peace. And I said, amen to that, brother. You are better than that. You are saved. And that means so, so, so much more. And it was an amazing thing on that day, I'll tell you, that God let me, a lousy, rotten sinner, 
but one who has been forgiven, changed, and now commissioned to be a part of his kingdom work in helping to save a tiny little piece of the world that God wants to save. And so I want to remind you, and I want to awaken you to the fact that all around us, there are people who are in need of compassion, in need of direction, in need of deliverance from whatever it is that is difficult in their lives. And you have the opportunity to be a part of helping them to find the way to your Savior. Our friends, our neighbors, our own family members are dealing with things like cancer and addiction and low self-esteem. They're dealing with depression and grief, with abuse and oppression. And guess what? God has placed you in their path. You, who have been saved, who are saved, and who are being saved, guess what? You're also called. You're also commissioned. If, in fact, you are forgiven and changed and commissioned, what else can you do? but to bring hope to those around you by helping them see the very Savior who gave you those things. You who are forgiven are carriers of hope. You who are forgiven are carriers of peace. No one is better able to point the lost to the Savior than the one who themselves were lost and have been saved. And so your task is to pay attention your task is to act when God gives you the opportunity to act. Are you up for it? I think you are. Now there might be somebody hearing this word today who has never before in their life understood their need for a savior. Maybe like my little sister in the mall, you were lost and you never even realized it. But I tell you, there is one who longs to find you. There is one who is just waiting to hear from you so that you too can be forgiven and changed and commissioned for God's good kingdom work. And so if that is you, I encourage you to pray right now this prayer along with me. Lord Jesus, there are so many ways that I have missed the mark. I have strayed from the path that you have called me to be on. I am lost. But Lord, I want to be found. I want to be forgiven. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done. Please change me, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Make me new and help me to live a life that from this day forward is pleasing to you. And then, Lord, please use me. Help me to bring you glory by bringing others to see that you are the one who gives us hope and peace and joy and life. You're the one who takes us to heaven. You're the one who saves us. And these things I pray today, Lord, because I trust you. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord at this time.
by presenting our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you as you leave today, there is a box that you can place your gifts in. You can also give online. You can send or bring your offerings to the church. But I want you to understand that you are part of God's good kingdom work when you offer your gifts to the Lord because you enable this church to reach the, the lost, to feed the hungry, to minister to those who need the Savior. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for you have met our every single need. Thank you for meeting our need for a Savior. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for providing everything we need to get by in this world and for blessing us everywhere we turn. We give you these gifts, Lord, as a token of our love and our appreciation, our gratitude for who you are and what you've done. I pray that you bless the giver and bless those who will receive the benefits of your good work. In Jesus' name, amen.